Hey, it's Seeking Plum. When I was young, I was taught to be a good little girl, to be obedient, and whether overtly or implied, to not really ask any questions. You know, you may not have received those responses yourself, but you may have heard them said to a friend, or uh, you may have overheard them. Things like, well, that's just the way it is, or because I said so or because period there comes a point where you just quit asking and you do your best to tune out curiosity later i met a family who taught me to ask why but recently i came face to face with the idea that for each of us we seem to have these perimeters these borders which those whys cannot breach whether we've been curious our entire lives or we've learned to ask those questions, we have set these lines in the sand, or maybe they're even more concrete than that, and we won't cross those lines. We won't dig deeper into certain topics or issues. We just say no. Where and when we draw those lines is, is curious to me when I observe them in others and even in, in myself. But before I get into some of that, here's a bit of an example. I had a recent opportunity to go to a science center slash museum recently, and they had this display on about whales. So I'm, you know, enjoying myself wandering through these huge skeletons, the bones, reading about the history of um, the whaling uh, industry, so many different things, and I, I turn the corner and there is this strangely colored and strangely looking skeleton hanging from the ceiling, and it has four legs. Now, I had just seen this strange skeleton hanging behind me that had this strange bone structure beneath it, and I couldn't figure out what that was because it didn't seem to fit a, a fin because those are typically typically cartilage and I was like what is going on here and uh, I had to do a little more reading and more checking and and it seems that this display was talking about whales having evolved from land into the sea now this this was completely new to me I had not heard of this I had never come across this before and honestly, most things that I have learned about when it comes to evolution and animals talk about them coming from water to land. So this was really strange to me. And just a little background, if you're new to the podcast, I wasn't brought up with a lot of education in the, the area of evolution and um, a lot of focus on creationism. So I'm sort of fumbling my way through some of this later in life. Okay, so I, I needed a little more information. I won't really get into all of the details or anything, but when I did read more when I got home, I learned that in recent decades, scientists have uh, found more skeletons and determined that they do think, based on the, the skulls and the teeth, um, that whales did evolve from land into the water. Now, I'm, I'm still 
grappling with some of this, still working my way through it, but uh, it's an interesting idea where we sometimes get into these ruts of how things are expected to be or how we quote think they should be and, and things don't always go that way. When someone else saw this skeletal representation, they were somewhat dismissive and said that this is just their latest idea of what happened. And the, the tone and their, their phrase really stuck with me. Why would that be your line in the sand? Even if you have a set of beliefs that do not match up with what you are seeing presented before you, why would you not want to at least ask the questions of why somebody has come to this conclusion? What thought processes brought them to this place? What pieces of quote, I'm putting quotes in there for their benefit, of evidence brought the scientists to these conclusions like why not why not go down those paths you know why determined this these these are the lines in the sand the this is your border your perimeter where you will not go beyond it but then I had to start asking other questions like why do we why does anybody set those borders, those perimeters? And I think we do it for several reasons. Some of it is sometimes it's a coping mechanism to make us feel secure or safe. Sometimes it's because we have done some thinking on the topic and have determined that this issue, this topic, whatever it is, we have deemed is nonsense so there's no need to do any further investigation no no need to ask any further questions parenthetically i think there are definitely other reasons that we do this as well asking and posing questions is such a, a tricky thing because i keep i keep thinking sometimes that people don't ask enough questions and then sometimes i wonder whether i ask too many questions so I recently read an article that was fascinating and frustrating almost equally. It was on scientificamerican.com and I'll link to it in the show notes. It was called, Could, Could an Industrial Pre-Human Civilization Have Existed on Earth Before Ours? And it's almost like they have taken this sci-fi type-like idea and then applied scientific concepts, ideas, ways of possibly trying to figure it out, but then slipped back into a sci-fi mentality to some extent. But let me try to, to flesh this out a bit. The way this started was that one of the two authors of this paper asked the questions of how could you determine whether there were industrialized civilizations on other planets and his friend asked him how do you know that another industrialized civilization has not existed on earth prior to ours okay that is a really an interesting fun question to ponder but when you start thinking about it and start digging into it there's really not much that you can going back millions of years, 
what's going to be left to show us any evidence. Like we know erosion wipes things away. We know that other things sink into the ground. There's not going to be much left. Okay, before I go too far, I need to add this detail in. About 55.5 million years ago, there was something called, I'm not going to attempt to say this one word, but the acronym is P-E-T-M. And basically what it means was it was the last maximum temperature that we had on the planet. And it was an increase of something like, uh, here it is, 5 to 8 degrees Celsius. The authors of this paper were surmising that if a, an industrialized civilization did happen on the planet Earth at a previous time, that it may have happened then. Okay, they haven't lost me yet. I'm still with them. So I don't want to get sidetracked with a lot of this article. I'm going to try to make this a bit concise. So they're assuming that it wasn't a human, that it was alien in some way, but of course it's still here on Earth. But then they go down these strings of assumptions, and some of them I can understand, and some of them I don't. The, the assumption that a civilization is going to need energy, yes, but the assumption that that energy is going to have the same thinking and the same culture and the same understandings that we do, did, etc., and took the same paths that we did and do is something I don't understand. Why are you going to look for the same chemical tracers, the same pollution type things, so plastics and synthetic chemical compounds or fertilizers or sediment that points to uh, manufacturing and heavy industry. There could be so many other ways that they approach things that we have no clue about. I mean, who's to say that they weren't smarter than we are, that they weren't more technologically advanced than we are, that they didn't escape planet Earth and went off into the universe somewhere. I'm not saying that this did happen. I'm just saying that like there is a string of assumptions that were made again and again and again to to come up with this entire theory. And it was pretty much all built around the fact that this one temperature, this rising of temperature happened. I'm going to add this caveat before moving on, but at the end of the article, they do say that some of the headlines might say that that these creatures or this this other civilization, quote, might have existed when there's no such evidence. But, quote, then again, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And they are absolutely right. They will not have any argument from me there. But the reason I brought this, this article up was it's almost like a different kind of perimeter that's created and it's, it's like a narrow hallway where there is an end destination that we want to get to so we are going to draw the lines and we are going to run straight in the direction we want to go to come hell or high water and forget anything else. I'm not saying that that's what they did because obviously at the end they they say that there's no evidence to support this as yet. 
But how many other explanations could there be for that rise in temperature? Let's put them all out on the table and consider them all. I'm thinking back to <laughs> the first time I did, the first and only time I did an escape room uh, last fall. I think I did an episode shortly thereafter. And it was a very frustrating experience because it's designed in such a way that it expects participants to follow exactly where they lead you by the nose. And this was a, a mystery and trying to solve a murder. And getting to a final destination, even if it's not a mystery, sometimes it's solving a puzzle, is not always a straight or very defined, clear path to get there. You know, sometimes it's messy. And sometimes, sometimes there's multiple, many, infinite ways of getting there. And sometimes where one person can use the five pieces laid out for them to get to the final destination, somebody else can use fractions of pieces of information and piece them together and still get to that final destination, you know, whatever that final destination might be. So my whys, my questions that led me on the path that I took to solve that murder still got me to the same destination. I told you who did it. I told you the tools that were used. I told you who was involved, all of these other pieces of information. But I also included extra information that was maybe not uh, a priority one of importance to you, but I saw uh, importance for other reasons to include in the murder file, case file. And because the, the designer of the game did not value that information the same way, um, it was deemed incorrect. You know, I think putting those lines, those perimeters in can be useful and important and sometimes even necessary. But I think that we run into trouble when when we're unwilling to either see through those lines as if they are translucent walls instead of brick walls, or we are unwilling to, to open a door through them to consider something different. The only constant is change, right? I think that I take this strange comfort in that idea because whatever it is that I have learned or come across, there's this idea that, okay, that's what I understand and know today, or that's what we, we as humans know today. But in a few decades, 100, 200 years from now, we may have learned something different. Um, it's happened in the past. It's surely going to happen again. And, and there's this strange reassurance about that. Because whether there's entropy or, or growth or, or progress or what have you, it's, 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 there's movement. There's nothing stays the same. So even our understanding of of things is changing. 
So our questions have to keep changing. At one point, we thought the earth was flat, then we learned differently. At one point, we thought that the sun revolved around the earth. We didn't know the universe was expanding, that it was finite. There were so many things we didn't know. We're still learning about dark matter. Even our theories on gravity and time have changed. Speaking of, I'm gonna leave you with this final tidbit. It comes from another story from Einstein's dreams. I'm not gonna read it to you today, but it's about time and change. And it would change everything. It would change our desire for, need for, asking questions. It, it would change everything about our lives. Right now, the way time flows, things break down, things turn into chaos. It's all about entropy. But in this tale, everything moves from chaos into order. The more time passes, the more orderly things become. So if you sit back and wait, then the messy room becomes tidy. Things get put away all by themselves. <laughs> it just comes together. That task you have to do for work, eh, sit back, let it happen. Curious about something? Eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> It'll all come together orderly and efficiently all by itself. It sounds like an interesting idea, a novel idea even, but not a world I'd want to live in. It sounds really boring. Can you imagine? And honestly, the people in the story were not that fond of it either. But I'll leave that for you to ponder on. Up next, we've got some wild blue whale facts from Patrick of We Live on a Planet. And after that, Ron of Mandolin Minute shares where you can hear about a documentary specifically talking about, quote, the walking whale, and is done by National Geographic. And he shares where you can find that. Both of these gentlemen can be found on Anchor.fm or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Seeking Plum, what's going on? It's Patrick. I wanted to call in because you're talking about whales, and I did something on whales just the other day. I wanted to tell you, a baby blue whale stays inside its mother for about a year, and when it is born, it weighs up to three tons and stretches 25 feet. And it gorges on nothing but mother's milk for the first year and gains about 200 pounds every day. <laughs> 200 pounds a day it gains. Three tons, 25 feet long, a baby blue whale. Groovy, groovy stuff. I'm going to get back into your podcast. I just had to pause it and give you a little whale fact. Now I'm right back into your podcast because I want to hear more. Good stuff. Hi, Seeking Plum. I was listening to your podcast on whale evolution. 
and it reminded me of this really great documentary I saw. It was a National Geographic uh, documentary on whale evolution called The Walking Whale. So uh, I found it on YouTube. If you search for The Walking Whale and look for the playlist of five episodes, I'll also link it in this call-in. Uh, that was a really good show. Although, you know, you might have already learned everything in that museum trip. But uh, anyway, I, I really like that show and I found it very informative. Wow, Patrick. Just hearing about that information and those numbers, it makes it, makes it hard to wrap your head around. I have to say that when I wandered through the museum... Uh, next to some of those skeletons, or even pieces of them, I felt so small. And again, hearing about some of that information, it's it's mind blowing. Thank you very much for sharing them. I missed them on your on your episode, and thanks, Ron, for sharing about the documentary because I didn't have a chance yet to dig into more about this this part of the evolution of the whale and. This is why I said I was still grappling with it because there's, I'm not quite settled with it because I need more information. And so I'm looking forward to checking out this documentary. So thank you also for sharing this as well. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, you heard music by Bortex entitled Last Day of High School from the Free Music Archive under a Creative Commons license. Details can be found in the episode description.